You're listening to Women Transcend. I'm Jennifer Todd, and this is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Welcome, friends. We're glad that you have joined us. If you are a friend of the pod, welcome back. If this is your first time listening, we are glad that you have found us. We cover topical feminist issues with discussion and an interview every week. Some of our topics have been a little heavy, and we need to have those discussions like human trafficking and women living in a war zone. This episode is a little bit lighter. This is a little bit, let's say, candy. So we're going to be looking at the depiction of women in comics. Not that it's not, it couldn't be also viewed as a serious topic, but we're going to have a little bit of fun with it. We decided to cover this topic upon release of the new movie, Wonder Woman. In preparation for this episode, we took a field trip to a comic book store. And at this point, I have now exhausted my knowledge of the topic, and I'm going to invite in John Philbeck. John, would you mind joining the discussion, please? I would be happy to join the discussion, <laughs> although if, if you're going to rely on me to give you any more insight into comic book culture, you're going to be sadly mistaken. <laughs> Okay, so it's new although to both may, of us. You, although you, maybe I, I have read a few more comics than you have. But. Had, so had you ever been to a comic book store? I have, yes. See, okay, um, so there you go. In like 1985, yes. The stereotype I think I had was that this was a, a misogynist culture and the depiction of women in these graphic novels was not necessarily very flattering for women or fair. So we went to a comic book store. And what was your takeaway, John? What did you think of the comics that, or in the, the graphic novels that we looked at? I didn't do a, a thorough sweep with feminist issues in mind. I was very interested in just the breadth of material that was there. There were a lot of, um, you know, superheroes sort of comics. There are a lot of comics and graphic novels that were aimed at movies and television shows, you know, sort of fictionalized versions of these fictitious shows um, that went beyond the original show. And some of them, like there was a, a Star Trek and Green Lantern sort of mashup. And so that that was the sort of thing that was really jumping out at me was just the, the diversity of material, but not so much the diversity of racial, ethnic, gender diversity, which I'm sure, is, as we'll hear in our conversation, is uh, there's a lot to be done still in that regard. Yeah, but one thing that came out of the interview, which I'd encourage you to listen to because our guest points out some really fascinating things about the history and background of comic book culture and development of the characters. But one point that he brings up, which was very powerful to me and made me look at graphic novels completely differently is the role that graphic novels can have in getting young girls and boys, and for our purpose, young girls, interested in reading. Yeah. 
and upon reflection, it makes a lot of sense. They're very approachable. They're, they have, you know, bright colors and you can actually read them pretty quickly and easily. Yeah. And they, you know, they like the pictures and the pictures tell a lot of the story. And, and especially, you know, I would think that if there are, you know, words in the text that someone might struggle with, you have a ready backup there in the pictures. Yeah, that's a great point. So if they're not, if there's a word they don't understand, they can get the context from the pictures. Yeah. And that idea was so striking to me that it really made me excited about this episode and the, the interview that we're about to present because there is a lot of material that is now being produced and released specifically for girls, or at least portraying them in a positive light. Yes. So it's a, an approachable form of media that kids can relate to. They can get excited about getting a new graphic novel. They can get attached to characters that they can follow through series. Yeah. And it seems like this is a really great way to get our girls interested in reading and also interested in, I mean, some of the graphic novels that are being produced, they can get them interested in technology or, you know... Um, you know, after we recorded this episode, um, we went with our daughter to the public library rather than a comic book store and... The public library has also a tremendous variety of these graphic novels that are are really, you know, in, in different sections. They're really tailored to specific age ranges. So they make it very easy to, to be able to go and identify age-appropriate graphic novels. And our daughter just eats them up. I mean, she literally, like, almost sets a, a goal for herself to, I'm going to read three of these in, you know, before we get to school. And, and she'll yeah. take a stack and just like plow through them. And she does. Yeah. I found this series that I thought that she would connect with. It was about animals. I bought the entire series. There was, there was 19 in the series and she finished all of them within a couple of days, which of course makes me realize, you know what? The public library is probably <laughs> a great place to get these. Yes. But I approached this episode with the curiosity around how are women being depicted in graphic novels. And I think that there was some good news. I think that there is a larger range of content available. Not that there still isn't objectionable material being produced. Yes. But the good news, I think, is that there is material being produced for our girls that will engage them and get them excited and they will want to read and they will want to learn about, you know, the characters and the stories. And that is the thing that makes me excited about today's interview. So please, I really recommend stay tuned for our interview with Dr. Taylor Hahn, who is a professor of communication and a rhetorician at Johns Hopkins University. He's also just an amazing human being. Welcome to Women Transcend Taylor. Yes, thank you for having me. 
Yes, yeah, so today you're joining me to discuss the topic of women in comics. And this is in the minds of many right now because of the movie which was recently released, Wonder Woman. And it was released to a lot of fanfare by feminists and comic enthusiasts alike. But you have a lot of background information to introduce about women in comics before we really can dive into Wonder Woman or the Wonder Woman character. So where is a good place to start this discussion about women in comics? Well, the mention of the Wonder Woman movie is a pretty good starting point, in part because DC finally made a new good movie. It's been a number of years, but uh, really because it is a very interesting take on a character that in a lot of ways has not been very well highlighted in recent years. You're always seeing, you know, reboot after reboot of Batman and Superman. But this is And Batman one, and uh, Superman fighting. Sorry, I had to add that. Exactly. In. <laughs> yeah. Well, and a lot of people have said that the one saving grace of that movie, which wasn't particularly good, was Wonder Woman. Uh, and so it's really interesting that they seem to have hit their stride with this movie recently. And I think that's brought a lot of attention to a character that has a pretty interesting history. Now, you know, I know you and I have talked a good deal that this movie's been received by a number of different uh, groups in different ways. It's been said that it's a very feminist movie. It's been said that uh, a lot of people have criticized it for a variety of reasons. You obviously have people saying it's anti-man for whatever reason they say. But it's kind of a cool background because the movie did a pretty good job of demonstrating this character in a very positive manner. The one thing that's kind of interesting to me is that despite, you know, Wonder Woman being a fantastic character in the movie, they actually, you know, reduced her her power a little bit for it. Really? And, you know, in uh in video game culture, they have character nerfing and buffing, and that's when you reallocate powers based upon, you know, making someone better or worse. Uh nerfing coming from, you know, nerf guns. Oh, and I so, love that. <laughs> You know, you can say that they nerfed her character for this movie because, uh, you know, the movie is pretty good about maintaining fidelity to the character origin story. Wonder Woman lives on uh, Thermoscura with all the other Amazonians. Uh, they're protected from the world of man who is constantly waging war and struggling and whatnot. And the, you know, spell that keeps them away from everyone is broken by Steve Trevor crashing off the island. When... They bring Steve Trevor onto the island. It breaks a spell because Amanda's touched foot on the island, and suddenly they're exposed to the world. The one part of that origin that breaks with the original comic is that in the comic, Steve Trevor was dying. And so Wonder Woman busted out all of her super technology and made a special new magic laser that healed him back to 100%. And so it turns out that originally... All the Amazonians on the island, they weren't just sitting around, you know, practicing fighting and whatnot like they were in the movie. They were great inventors and they were making new stuff and they were at kind of this, uh, you know, this almost magic level of technological innovation. Interesting. And uh, for some reason, that's something they took out of the, the film, probably because then the Amazonians could just like. And World War II. <laughs> well, but, uh, and it, it, it doesn't, it's not as sexy because they don't get to show women fighting. 
Exactly. Yeah, it wouldn't be uh, women in the STEM fields would probably not be what they're shooting for yes. in the demographic. <laughs> but the movie actually otherwise did a relatively reasonable job of kind of demonstrating the character and its origins. You know, there's there's a lot of conversation of you know why if Wonder Woman's so powerful does she have functionally male escorts throughout the entire movie, which obviously you know is an attempt to still keep you know that demographic. Sure. But you know, I, I think that a lot of ways it worked because it kind of continues this problematic, uh, naive woman trope, but it's facilitated through functionally a fish out of water tale where Wonder Woman simply doesn't know much about World War II because she's never experienced the world outside of the island. Uh-huh. Uh, so they do an okay job, I think, of kind of rationalizing why the guys matter. Yeah. Though they do hold her back. Like, it's pretty clear that they are in many ways preventing her from just ending the war in a day. Yeah. By just kind of going out yeah. blazing. Uh-huh. But, you know, the real cool takeaway of the movie is, like you said, that people are talking about. That there is already a Wonder Woman 2 slated. That oh, really? there's a lot of, uh, yeah, it's um it's in development right now for 2019 release. Uh-huh. And that, you know, she's going to be in the Justice League movie. So we're seeing a lot of very cool uh, innovations in the comic universe regarding Wonder Woman, who um, unfortunately is one of the few women characters who are really kind of being highlighted at this point. But uh, it's hopefully a good sign of things to come. Yeah. So what about the the background of, of women traditionally in comics? Can you tell me about the woman in red? Sure. So uh, the woman in red are the woman in red is argued by many to be the first kind of superheroine in comics. She first came in 1940, and it's interesting because she was, in many ways, an attempt to ease into the comic culture. Uh, she wore an extremely just kind of a long coat and a matching mask to the point that you really couldn't see any of her. But she was a stark contrast to what ultimately became the norm for women characters, uh, which is very kind of minimal attire. Yeah. But uh, The Woman in Red was pretty much, you know, testing the waters for women to be heroes. And what was discovered relatively early on is that this could be a source of positive empowerment and that this actually could have some pretty solid readership. Previous to this and continuing past the creation of this character – Unfortunately, a lot of times women in comics are presented in very uh, problematic ways. And I, I want to pause there to kind of give a, a small disclaimer. It's really, really easy when looking at the comic world to kind of cherry pick some examples to say that, you know, this is a problematic depiction or comics are bad because they do X, Y, Z. The fact that thousands and thousands of comics are, you know, made annually uh, means that you can always find problematic examples in depictions. Sure, of course. Uh, That's a very good point to make. And that being said, there is a high level of misogyny in comics. So it is worth saying that even with that disclaimer, there's been a real problem with how women are often depicted, in part because disproportionately the comic world is run by men. And so um, that, that trend has been improving in the last like 10 years or so. But there's a lot to kind of uh, atone for and to kind of, you know, have yeah. to acknowledge the comic histories. And consumers are disproportionately men, but there are a growing number of consumers who are, are women. Is that correct? That is, yes. And 
a lot of what's been happening is that there's been uh you know the the fact that it's easier to publish materials it's no longer just dc and marvel are the single powerhouses that there's other distributors uh means that there's a lot more potential for people to develop their own comics and kind of gain an audience and then gain a better standing in the comic world but there has been um in recent history uh an uptick in comic culture being frankly friendlier to larger audiences and this is in part because comic sales have been declining so they need to get you know a bigger audience sure uh but also I think it is a kind of a sign of the times that we're finally seeing these changes. Uh-huh. And some of these women have organized themselves into website um, groups around feminism and comics? Sure. So uh, there's a number. And the one that I always think is uh, pretty good, it's more of kind of a nerd culture than just comics. But uh, the Mary Sue, which is just themarysue.com is really kind of a solid focal point for that topic. And they they mark themselves as the nexus of pop culture and the uncharted universe. But it it, it really does kind of offer a rally point for depictions of women in pop culture, in part being in comic culture. Uh Uh-huh. And some of what they do is kind of satirize the way that that women have been depicted in some more misogynistic comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's uh, a lot of, you know, as I was doing some background and preliminary research for this conversation, when you Google women in comics, you'll always end up with, you know, a bunch of lists of the top 10 most messed up things in comics, you know, and uh, I, there are a lot of these kind of satirical runs of, oh my goodness, look at the 40s, like look at the 50s, all these things that are being done and said. And, you know, it's of note that Wonder Woman invariably is on that list of check out this thing that happened. But she actually isn't on it too, too often, given that she's been around for as long as she has. I mean, she was created in 1941. Uh-huh. And so you're inevitably going to find a couple, you know, pretty atrocious examples uh, in her comics. But it's actually usually not the case that she is, you know, one of the characters with these problems. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, one of the ways that there's been functionally a shift in comic culture is this idea of kind of exposing the problematic histories, because I think that that in many ways has prompted change. And, you know, the a good example of this is um, there was a website created years ago called Women in Refrigerators. And it's, it's a very problematic title, yeah. uh, but for a good reason. It's based on a number of researchers kind of realizing that women had been used primarily as plot devices for their male counterparts. And the website catalogs events in comics, primarily DC and Marvel, where women were killed, raped, injured, uh, and so on as just a plot device and that they are serially, purely a means to an end. Uh-huh. It's named after a specific moment in a Green Lantern comic in which a girlfriend of the character was killed and stuffed in her refrigerator. Green Lantern comes home, finds her, and then promptly just leaves to go fight the villain and end of girlfriend. Uh-huh. Uh, and she just kind of goes away. And so this list, which it's still available if you were to Google, you know, women in comics, uh, women in refrigerators comics 
it'll come up. It uh, was used to kind of prompt comic culture, and it elicited a number of responses from comic creators saying, you know, some of them tried to defend themselves, but a lot of them said, yeah, this actually really exposes the problem. And so I think by kind of digging up the amount of evidence of these primac representations, we've seen comic readers really kind of push the industry forward. in addition to an increasing consumer base in women that there has been also an increase in the number of creators of comics that are women there certainly has been yes and that is really and uh you know i don't have exact numbers on this but just observationally that is primarily in distributors that you know you don't think of you know for people that aren't familiar with comics DC and Marvel are kind of the big ones in part because they have the movies. But a lot of other companies and distributors um, have been doing a much better job of prioritizing these efforts. But women creators have been making some fantastic content recently. And so, yeah, I think that definitely the fact that there are more creators that aren't, you know, cis white men has really prompted a shift. And this is something that's really exciting to see because there was a pretty solid attempt at this in the early 90s. There was an entire comic culture that was dedicated to representing you know, a wide demographic. And it folded after a couple months because they just couldn't find the readership. Uh-huh. But that luckily is no longer the case. And there's a lot of great comics out there right now uh, that are being produced in, you know, a lot better ways for that reason. So, I mean, I'm hopeful for the future of comics and for kind of opening to wider demographics and being more inclusive uh, and resolving a lot of the problematic stuff. Uh-huh. Do you also see more inclusion in terms of diversity in comics? Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, there's been uh, a small push for a number of years. Like most big industries, there's a fear of being right into, um, you know, shifting their, you know, demographic because they have a workable recipe. Uh And I hesitate to bash too readily, but I will say that I think that this could be fast forwarded a bit if the bigger names in comic culture would be a little more adopting. But DC and Marvel have not been doing a very good job on that. An example I would draw is that in comics, there's the multiverse. So there's variations on the same character. You know, there's been like 20 different Wolverines in different universes. Uh There was, for a while, there was what's known as the ultimate universe in the Marvel world, which was just different versions. And it took them forever to have a, a gay superhero. It was Colossus in the multiverse. And, uh, you know, they brought him in. He came out. Everything was great. And then they ended the Marvel Ultimate Universe, right? Because ah. they didn't want to actually bring in kind of a sexual diversity in the, you know, the canon universe, the major yeah. universe everyone knows about. Now, that being said, you know, and as you mentioned, there's a lot of positive stuff happening in, you know, comics that are lesser known outside of the comic world. So thinking about positive shifts in comic culture, 
a lot of what we're seeing is coming from comic series that are produced by, you know, I'm thinking IDW is a good comic distribution. Boom Studios has been doing a great job of producing comics that, you know, rupture this normative lens. And one that I'll point to that my partner turned me on to, which I've been loving to read, is Lumberjanes, which is a comic created by uh, female writers that really focuses on just, you know, playfully engaging notions of normativity, but also it's just kind of a, it's a lighthearted, feel-good comic. But it's done a good job of bringing in strong female characters. It's addressed uh, transsexuality in a way that isn't problematic uh-huh. or isn't kind of tokenizing. And in a single run, this comic has done more than the big powerhouse comics producers have done in decades. And that's called Lumberjanes? Yes, Lumberjanes. Um, for our listeners who have children, is there an age range that you can recommend that mothers or parents might start to introduce this graphic novel? I'm sure that there's, I don't know how comic books work, honestly. I don't know <laughs> if there's like a recommended age range, but um, is this something that, you know, teenagers would appreciate? Sure. So it... Uh... You know, I've read it. I enjoy it. I have not. I cannot think off the top of my head of anything that I would, you know, shield a child from. Uh, it's pretty accessible. And you know, I started reading comics pretty much as soon as I started reading. And you know, I grew up reading the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from childhood to now. I still so read them. So when you when you started but, reading, and what was that? With six months? Six months of age? I think. <laughs> I, I think it was right out of the womb. I just yeah, kind exactly. of grabbed a comic. Um, but no, it no, was, you had, uh, you had Iliad in your hand. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the graphic <laughs> novel variation, but um, <laughs> no, uh, you know, actually that's a good point for our listeners who have young children. You know, if you're looking for a good way to get your kids interested in reading comics are the reason I grew up to love reading because it gave me a way to really kind of understand that visuals and text can merge and that they can play with one another. And it functionally tricked me into reading a lot more than I would have otherwise. Yeah, that, uh, that's a great point. And so, I mean, I, I would very much credit my love for literature on my original love of comics. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, I mean, if you're a, uh, a parent looking for good comics to kind of enter into, most comic stores will have like a section dedicated to kids. And, you know, I can think of a couple in the D.C. area that are just fantastic. But most comic stores I've been into are very aware that, you know, start them young. There's there's always good sections for children. And, you know, the reason I love comic stores is also that they're very inviting. They're very communal. Everyone's usually very, very helpful. But if you're looking for another piece of advice, Boom Studios really also has a great series of runs for comics that are accessible, that are, you know, appropriate and offer a good selection. I think that's really important because you make an excellent point. They're accessible, they're fun, they're, you know, some of them are, you know, very brightly colored. And yeah, if you're having trouble or not having, not even having trouble, if you just want to get a child excited about reading, I think it's a great way to introduce them to, you know, um, it's not just prose written on black and white. It can be more than that. And then and then you get practiced in reading. So I thank you for making that point. Yeah. And it's worth knowing there's also really good tie ins for uh, kids shows. 
So I'm a huge fan of Adventure Time, the TV show. But Boom Studios also does tie-in comics. So again, you know, if your kid already loves the characters from a show they've watched, a lot of popular children's shows have tie-in comic books that you can use to say, you know, don't watch a TV, but you can still check out your favorite characters. That's a great um, point. So I just want to circle back around and ask you, so is Wonder Woman wonderful? <laughs> She's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> She'll do. I think wonderful is a fair, a fair assessment. Uh-huh. And, you know, the, the character has always been surprisingly good, given all the things I've said about prom-mac depictions in comic culture. Uh, Wonder Woman has been a fascinatingly atypical uh, representation in uh-huh. that she's always been powerful and meaningful. There, you know, when she was first created in 1941, she was described by her creator as a feminine character with all the strength of Superman, plus all the allure of a good and beautiful woman. Now, my critical alarm kind of goes off there because yeah. automatically the feminine character has to be good and beautiful. Uh huh. But, you know, what's interesting is that Martin, the creator, had a very kind of sex-positive uh, understanding of women depictions in comics. And, you know, it was a very kind of uh, what we would understand now as being a feminist perspective of she is her own person. She can do what she wants. This is not a representation that is required for all women, but it works for her. And, you know, he, he had a very kind of uh, uh, a very unique perspective, especially given the times, the 1940s. Now, Wonder Woman has, throughout most of her career, been an extremely powerful character. She, you know, breaks a lot of stereotypes that we saw in those times because she is the main focal point. She's been saving her male counterparts for most of her career. She's, you know, worked on her own. And this is in part attributed to the fact that the creator had a polygamous relationship with both his wife and his secretary. And his argument uh, at the time was functionally that women should be running the world. They've got this figured out a lot better than guys who just keep starting wars. Uh, and he should he believed he should just defer to her, to their lives and expertise and authority and knowledge. And he modeled Wonder Woman off of these two women, both of whom, by the way, were involved in the women's rights movement. Interesting. Preach. So, Yeah, a lot of what we're seeing in Wonder Woman in her development uh, were spurred by these two women that he was familiar with who were really kind of on the cutting edge of positive representations of women. Uh Uh-huh. Wow, that's Uh, fascinating. Yeah, it's really, you know, I I knew a little bit about this, but as we were diving in and I was uh, doing a little research before the movie and, you know, before this podcast, I was kind of myself impressed by all this background. For watchers of the movie, which I do encourage checking out, Uh, You might remember that Wonder Woman has a lasso that she can wrap around and get anyone to tell the truth. Now, it goes back and forth of if it's everyone or just men. That's something that kind of the comic always plays with. (laughs) Uh, But of note is that this magical device, which forces people to tell the truth, was created by the same person who created the first polygraph. And so... Wow. Martin, the creator of Wonder Woman, created the first lie detector. <laughs> uh, 
And so it's really kind of neat to see this play out in the comic world. Uh-huh. And it, it's just a fascinating character. Yeah. The other thing is, as I mentioned, Wonder Woman is, you know, if we were going to kind of look at her with a contemporary lens, uh, in many ways been described as a sex-positive character. And this is where we see a lot of when people will say the most problematic depictions of women in comic history. They'll often pull out single frames and, you know, almost kind of decontextualize them in problematic manners. So there's an example where Wonder Woman in the 19, uh, in a 1942 comic said, you know, a lot of women want to be slaves and there's no problem with being a good mistress. And so naturally people see that like, ooh. Yeah. Ugh, right. Cringe. Uh, and yeah, and you know the context, the wider context of this is that the character, much like her creator, believed in loving submission was the term that was used. And the rationale functionally being that you should just be you, whatever works for you, uh, you should roll with. If you are you know comfortable being submissive or dominant, you know there's a very S and M part of Martin's life based upon biographies wow. of him. It's the same thing, you know. She wears uh, bracers. Yeah. Which have been linked back to kind of an S&M bondage kind of link to the creator. But it's – most of the depictions are very kind of positive and in many ways empowering because, again, Wonder Woman is not a meat character. She kind of takes charge uh-huh. of you know most times she's in the room. Yeah. And you know we see this even in uh, modern comics. You yeah. Know, she's gone toe-to-toe with Superman. Depending on who's writing the comic, she can win. You know, she yeah. is identified as being in what's known as the Trinity, which is the three big, you know, the most powerful people in the DC universe, uh-huh. being Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman. Interesting. So, wow. Yeah. The, the history is really fascinating. And for uh, listeners that are really interested in this, uh, I can't really do a full history justice here. But there is an excellent documentary that came out in 2012 called Wonder Woman, the untold story of American superheroes. That obviously uses Wonder Woman as a focal point. Uh-huh. There's also another documentary coming out in late 2017 uh, entitled Professor Martson and the Wonder Woman. Oh, uh, interesting. Which, you know, we haven't seen yet. I've only seen a trailer, but it looks interesting. It, it's based on the creation of the character. Uh-huh. So if anyone, is, you know, if your ears are perking up on this yeah. conversation, I encourage checking those out as well. Yeah, okay. So I think that we can we can summarize by saying... Yes, indeed. Wonder Woman is wonderful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for lending your expertise in this area and um, some really insightful points, um, not just about women in comics, but about engaging girls in reading and um, very powerful um, thoughts. So I, I thank you so much for your time and your expertise and for joining us on Women Transcend. Thank you for having me. It's always great to listen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. If you enjoy our show, one thing you can do to support us is to tell one friend about this show and how they can find us. It's really easy Grab their phone and show them where podcasts are. You'd be surprised at how many people can't find a podcast. Don't forget to subscribe yourself because new episodes will automatically show up in your podcast player each week. A big thanks to Dr. Taylor Hahn for today's interview. And of course, to John Philbeck 
for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry so that we sound so good. Follow us on Facebook at Women Transcend because we always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode.